Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. I'm Tanya Acker. Welcome to the Tanya Acker Show. So most of us will not go to the Olympics. Not this year. <laughs> most of us will never get to the Olympics. Some of us will be lucky enough uh, at some point maybe to be spectators. But it's a rarefied world. And for those of us who can't get to the Olympics, you know what I did? I brought the Olympics here to you, to the Tanya Acker Show. Welcome to 2008 volleyball silver medalist, Kimberly Glass. Hey, I brought hey. you all an Olympian. Welcome to the <laughs> show, Kim. Hey there, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here, 2008. Olympic silver medalist, what does it feel like uh, in volleyball? What does it feel like to win and to take the podium and to have them put that medal around your neck? What does that feel like? I guess the thing is like that moment, that particular moment was a bittersweet moment. I think in a way, like you're happy to get the silver, but at the same time, like you're still replaying like, dang it, like we still lost to Brazil, you know? But in my head, I've only really played for USA because I love playing for something bigger than me. And I loved representing our country. So it's still that very, very proud moment when you're putting this on because I'm just like, you know, I went out here and I gave it all I got, all that I had. And this team did it and we did it all together in a unified way. It was so beautiful. Just the entire process for us at the Olympics. It was a bittersweet moment. And, you know, we lost someone during the Olympics as well in the Forbidden City. And so playing and getting that medal, only the second medal that the U.S. women have ever had in volleyball, indoor volleyball. It was like a really big deal and really special because it just kind of made things not be in vain. Just to remind people, 2008, the Olympics were in Beijing. You just referenced losing someone in the Forbidden City. Tell us about what happened there. We were sleeping and we were, um, you know, just preparing for a really a super late game. And, you know, they woke us up early and called us in, which is really rare. And uh, we had found out that one of our former teammates, his parent, had been stabbed to death by an extreme Chinese man from the north, northern China, I believe, if I'm accurate. And stabbed the parent to death. So it was really an emotional, very, very emotional um, night game to me, Olympics, because I will never forget specifically them walking through the bird's nest and finally seeing that American flag. And when we were walking through there, I would never, I'm getting chills right now. I would never forget the moment that I saw them there and they just had their flag and they were just going. And I literally, like, I'm super sensitive. So I just remember like smiling and then like tearing up when I looked at them and saw them. And I was so proud and just so happy and just filled with just joy. And also kind of like this weird kind of like this, 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 this moment you've never experienced in my life, you know, it was just crazy. So waking up and knowing that that happened, like that memory right then and there just flashed through the screen of my mind where I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, and just thinking about how our people were feeling and, you know, it was just hard. And we went out there and the next game and we said that we were going to play for them and for, for the, for the family. And so I think that that was 
sadly, that brought us together more. It shouldn't take something super extreme for a team to actually start playing better together. And unfortunately, like, we actually started playing better together. When we got to the Olympics, we weren't expected to medal. We were not playing well together. There was a lot of animosity and weirdness in between different players on the team. And it was just kind of like a little ugly. And um, I remember going to the Olympics. We just get into the dorms. And I'll never forget hearing one person say, how many more days do we have left? Wow. And this is like when we first got there. I only share this in stuff where I'm never like really filming. This is the first time I'm sharing this out loud like that. And I remember being like, what? I knew there was like a lot of things going on, but this is like the first day we're getting into the dorms and I'm everyone's unpacking and I heard someone say that. And I'm like, you're counting down the days? The Olympics like, this is my first Olympics wasn't yours but also at the same time I could never go back and I never did go back you know so kind of going off course with it but you know I started playing this song every day as a country song I listen to it every day during the Olympics and it's the songs like you're gonna miss this you're gonna want this back you're gonna wish these days hadn't gone by so fast you know I played that like every day during the Olympics to remind myself no matter what is going on I gotta cherish this moment and try to just engulf myself in it and soak it all up because look what happened. I didn't go to 2012 or ever again. So there's just so many like different emotions that happen. And that was a, something that's sad that divided, broke up a family. It was a horrible tragedy. There was reporting on that. I remember, uh, I mean, it was worldwide news. I can't imagine having to play in the midst of that, but let's roll it back a second because what you're saying is that the team was not tight. So when y'all took the field, opening ceremony and that incredible ceremony, and we saw everybody go, the volleyball team, you're saying, not the whole American uh, Olympic team, but your team, you guys were not cohesive until that tragic event brought you together. My opinion is we weren't cohesive until that tragic event happened. Is it just the competitiveness amongst teammates? Were there other things going on? I ain't got to be real. You got a lot of girls. You're competing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, before that, let's be real. We would go to a Grand Prix, which is like a month-long tournament, right? And you were competing for a spot. So you got to learn how to compete against each other and with each other against everybody else. You know, and there's a lot of personalities and there's a lot of people having their own different stressors and anxieties or whatever it is they're going through. Maybe there's some that clash. And I think the thing is, is when that happens, I think it's kind of like bringing it back to the fact that we all have the same goal and we need to actually, sorry, get over our shit because it's just like, this is just way bigger than us. And it proved that, that it was, but we were not uh, together. It was kind of like we would do things and then people weren't looking each other in the eye. You know, like after. So like the volleyball, people always make fun of us, especially the basketball girls always make fun of us. And basketball guys, every other sport made fun of us because the fact is we all cheer, we all come together and we high five and all this kind of stuff. And they're always like, what are you doing? Like, why do you guys have to do that? But the thing is, is like, you can't have one player go and branch off because they made an error or something happens. So, you know, we bring it back in and reel it back in and make it about the team and, you know, looking each other in the eye. And after the tragic event happened, I mean, the tragedy happened. It was like, everyone was looking. There was a different, like, intense look. There was just something that was kind of, like, unspoken that I think just ran through all of our veins. It was like, you're hurt, you're sad. You realize that the little stuff doesn't matter anymore. And you walked away with a medal. I mean, after all of that acrimony and then that horrible, horrible tragedy, you meddled. 
Uh, so it really, there's a lesson there that sometimes, you know, and you're right, it shouldn't always take a tragedy to pull people together, but when tragedies happen, there, sometimes it can, they can bring people together. This particular Olympics uh, that we're in the middle of now, I mean, talk about drama. There was all kinds of drama before the games even started. Uh, let's first talk about Shakari Richardson. She was disqualified for marijuana use, really dealt with a lot of tragedy. Um, her mother passed away. A lot, there, her disqualification was and has been controversial. A lot of people say that weed is not performance enhancing, which kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, you don't see people like getting stoned and then like running faster, right? Exactly. So it does seem a little bit counterintuitive. But uh, what's your view on her disqualification? I will start by just saying, first of all, like I can't even imagine losing a parent. Luckily, I still have mine and I can't mm -hmm. imagine what she goes, what she went through. And I feel for her tremendously. But that being said, also, is that when you're training for the Olympics, you're Olympic hopeful, whatever it is, we know the rules. Right. And what I think I would say is that she said, hey, I know the rules. I didn't abide by them. She owned it. So to me, I, I kind of got confused why there was so much controversy about her being banned for a month because she literally said this is what happened she didn't make excuses about it you know that's what she owned it like a big girl and the fact is we all know that marijuana and different substances are not allowed this isn't just like also like you know america you know we're like we got our rights we have everything and that's true we do right but this isn't just an american issue this is a worldwide no one is allowed to smoke marijuana, whether they're trying to say that it is a performance enhancement or not. Now, if we take the situation here and we say, hey, let's open up this for discussion for the future, should marijuana be banned? Now that is a discussion someone can kind of go visit later on. But to me, she owned it, she was supposed to be banned, and I don't know what the conversation about her being banned was for. You and I had a conversation not long ago yeah. where you talked about the fact that when you were competing, I mean, you couldn't even take, what was it, a Midol? Can't take uh, Midol because there's can't. something in there that's a performance enhancement that you don't know. Um, I couldn't take vitamins because back, more and more supplement companies are making them where you test and they promise that you would never test positive for performance enhancement, but you don't know. And that's a huge chance, a risk you take for training your butt off all your life in order to like, say I took a vitamin that was on the same line manufacturing as something else and something got mixed up in there. And now I can't compete because they think I'm doping. We just know the rules. And yes, this USADA and WADA, are they, yeah, they're outdated. And a lot of their things, they should be revisited hundred percent, right? In her case, she knew the rules, she owned it. And you think that her disqualification was fair. Do you think that as people have had that conversation over her disqualification, it, I mean, I'm asking you, but I'm also going to throw this out there as my opinion. It seems to me, tell me if you agree, that people kind of conflated the larger conversation around uh, marijuana use and the really racially uh, disproportionate impact of marijuana and drug prosecutions. Uh, everybody, like, if you look at these statistics, you know that black folks do not smoke more weed, but black folks are way more likely to be arrested for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it seemed to me that there was a lot of, and there's a lot of fair and righteous anger over that issue that kind 
kind of dovetailed over into Shikari's situation. And I, I think that they're different because of what you pointed out, because of the Olympic rules. But they should be revisited, you think, right? I mean, they're outdated. You think they're outdated? If there's, I don't know the science behind the marijuana, so I can't speak to that. But if they feel like it's not a performance enhancement and someone can prove all that, then what is the issue with that? I don't know, but I agree with you hundred percent. They're taking this, they're making that a racial issue. I don't believe that this was a race issue. I don't. And some people are going to get mad at me. I don't care. It is what it is. She didn't even make it into that. Right. She didn't. She, she, she absolutely. didn't make it into that. Everybody else did. Let me tell you about two that I am way riled up about. What is it? Way. First, let's talk about fining these handball players because they want to wear shorts instead of bikini. I'm just going to, I have to be super candid. It is the creepiest, just, I get, it's so just repulsive. Like you are making these girls pay because you can't look at their bums while they are competing in sport. Tell Granted, me your views on the that. Men, what are they wearing? I, I mean, I Googled it. I Googled yeah. to see what the men are wearing. They're covered up. They wear shorts. Yeah, they wear shorts. You know, you're gonna put some speedos on them and have their balls hanging out. Not like they would really care most of the time, anyhow. But you know, it's different with men and women. But you know what I mean. I have a big issue with the is it the EHF, the European Handball Federation, because when I was reading about it, you know, they said they couldn't make any changes overnight. But what they can do is take the money that they find <laughs> a sport already where they don't make enough money. By, right. So where they're going to take the money that they find, they took away from these girls and then they're going to put it towards a cause towards sports equality. What the <laughs> hell does that mean? How about instead of taking their hard earned money and put it towards something that you don't even practice? Right. How about you start with yourself, man in the mirror? How about you start with yourself? You guys make an example here. Don't go give it to a cause that promotes sports equality when you guys don't even believe in equality. I mean, if you think about how twisted, I mean, just think about this on so many levels. First off, you're talking about, you know, athletes, competitive athletes, warriors who, one, aren't just being told you have to wear this. You have to wear like this uniform as to that uniform. They're being told, unless we can see most of your butts, while you are performing, you are going to pay us money. I mean, I found that is just the most, it's just outrageous, but three cheers for Pink because Pink said she'd pay the fines. That girl, I just, I just keep getting chills talking about this and chills about what Pink is doing because she always stands up just for women in general of just owning and loving themselves more. But the fact that she went out there and did that, we know that handball, like a lot of sports that aren't like basketball, football, the mainstream sports, you're not getting paid that much. Right. A lot of people are playing off a heart, but they also rely on that money, you know? And they knew it's kind of like they strong guarded and like they bullied him by saying like, hey, we're taking that money that you feed your family with. How dare you? Because you want to be over se overly sexualized and objectified. Shame on them. It's archaic. It's outdated. And by the way, people are tired of it, EHF. Tired. Tired. Yeah. That's another Olympic controversy um, that clearly got us both riled up. Here's the other one, Kim Glass. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to introduce this controversy by showing you a little picture of somebody. You know who this is? So for my viewers, if you're, if you're watching this, you'll see this. 
if you're only listening, I'm going to describe what I'm doing right now. I'm putting up a picture of this little baby with an afro. You see that little baby with so the afro? Cute. That is little Tanya Acker. Do you see that big pile of hair on little Tanya Acker's head? so That cute. was my baby afro. You can't even imagine my big girl afro now. Yeah. So girls with afros who are swimming want to protect their hair. Yeah. And they get these caps that are specially designed for hair with lots of volume, hair that goes out as opposed to down, hair that grows out. Here's a big fact, people. Some hair grows out, some hair grows down, out and up some hair grows down. My hair grows out and up. Yeah. So, and I actually, a couple of years ago, um, was working out with our friend, uh, Jeanette. We're going to talk a little more about working out in a bit, folks. Work in the pool. And so to protect my hair, I got one of these great swim caps and I was so excited. I'm like, wow, all of my hair fits in the cap. So then cut to the Olympics this year where the Olympic Committee says that you can't wear these caps because what was the language? They don't fit the natural contour of the head or nobody needs them. I mean- The normal shape, what the heck's the normal shape of the head? And look, I do think that it's important when we talk about conversations with a racial impact that we're really clear about what feels and what is racist or what we might experience as racist. Um, and what might just be wrong or, uh, you know, unsettling. This is physiological racism, where you are suggesting that those black women whose hair grows a certain way, that's not natural. So you got to wear that other swim cap. So I just gave you my long spiel on that. Tell me what you think. Well, I definitely agree with that. I feel like, um, you know, for young black girls, a long time ago, you didn't see. And if you did, we were Europeanized a lot, right? And for so long, we have been Europeanizing ourselves. You know, I even know a long time ago, it was like, you know, like, oh, if you get your nose done, you would be more accepted. And so the thing is, is that people don't understand. They, I've heard people say, we're just making an issue out of this. We're just finding something else to complain about. And it's just like, well, the thing is, you don't know what you don't know. And I don't expect you to know what you don't know because you're not exposed to it. But at some point, you have to broaden your myopia here and you have to think there's a reason why you need diversity and inclusion because we're underrepresented in the swim world, are we not, right? In a lot of places, right? And the thing is, it could deter a lot of young black girls and boys wanting to compete. When I was younger, I couldn't put my head in thing. I wouldn't protect my hair. I couldn't do that. I don't really know the science behind this as well, so I can't really talk about that. But they said, like, maybe it's going to mess with the aerodynamic flow of the water. <laughs> and I don't know how you, I'm confused. I, here, listen, I have the quote. They said, here's what Fina said about these caps. Athletes competing at the Olympic level have, quote, never used, neither required to use, caps of such size and configuration. Well, maybe because you haven't had that many black women swimmers, but there are plenty now, by the way. There are some now, I shouldn't say plenty, but there are some, we have some medalists up in there. Um, and then the statement goes on, FINA also determined that the cap does not, quote, follow the natural form of the head. The quote starts with the natural form of the head. So the issue is that these caps, which are specifically designed to uh, hold our afros, like that that afro head yeah. <laughs> that we all yeah. have, that I have, that we have, I know, is not natural. 
when this is not braided up yeah. and you know what people see like I on my show my hair's braided down I wear those beautiful wigs because they keep one they're pretty and two they keep my natural hair uh, protected and when I take all that out there's a big wad of hair and it's gorgeous and I love it and I don't want it chlorinated and I want a swim cap that fits it so to suggest that that's not a natural head shape I thought just outrageous, completely outrageous, I thought. To be honest, it's, I mean, for them to use that excuse on top of it to, to try to validate, actually, I think they tried to like minimize what they said about the natural head. And then they tried to use an excuse that really didn't make sense to me scientifically, um, because when you want to be like more aerodynamic, so it's not going to be any type of advantage to have something that, you know, have big hair like that. This actually helps to make someone more aerodynamic, right? without having all of that pressure yeah. <laughs> and having like getting a headache because yeah. the cap's too tight. Uh, let's switch gears for a moment. Uh, Simone Biles, as you know, pulled out of the uh, USA team, the women's team competition. She cited her mental health. And, um, you know, a lot of people were disappointed not to see her compete. But what I've seen, uh, and I'm, it's refreshing, frankly, um, a lot of people have really embraced her. You know, I mean, when I look at that young woman, not only is she great, she's got to, it seems that she's, you know, constantly being told, you're so great, we can't give you credit for all your greatness. Um, and then on top of that, she's got this pressure and then she, she pulled out. What do you, tell me what you think about her decision. You know, at first in my head, I said, we're athletes and, you know, you're the top 1%. And um, to me, the gymnasts are some of the most strong-minded human beings out there. And at such a young age. Um, but I said to myself, we, we have to compete under pressure. So I hit up one of my teammates and I said, uh, who's also a mindset coach, Ted Talker, uh, two-time Olympian, one of the strongest mindsets that I know as well. And I said, hey, Nicole, like, talk to me about this because I don't understand the, I think like a lot of us don't understand um, mental health issues, right? Um, and anxiety and panic attacks all the time, right? And I think what she helped me to understand is the fact is like, so when, when these girls are taking off, like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles, when they're taking off, what are they doing with it? Because who's being proactive here, knowing that there's mental health issues, you know, to be able to kind of like stop this from happening when you finally get to the big stage in the show. So there's more mental health issues that need to be discussed. I think um, because at first I, I didn't, I was kind of like, well, we have to still compete through it. But like, can you imagine having severe anxiety, being a gymnast doing flips up in the air? Like your injury versus my injury can be completely different. Mine's the ankle. You could paralyze and break your neck. So I think she took a big stand for herself and for her team, knowing that they could still compete and win and, and do well without her. Um, but I feel for her. I'm glad of the outpour too. I see everyone posting on Instagram. Mental health is something that I think we all could educate ourselves more on, including myself, to understand it more, to not have that first opinionated judgment of what we think someone should be doing. I think that we all need to go do our own research. There's a lot out there and we could understand it more and have more empathy for someone that is going through that. I didn't even know that to this morning that, you know, Naomi Osaka, like she started a documentary about her mental health issues two years ago. I didn't know that. She's been going through this for a long time. So 
what is missing proactively that she's still going through this still has to um, take off for mental health reasons. There's something that we don't know that's not being talked about and, and maybe mindfulness things that they could be practicing with different coaches that we don't, maybe they are, maybe they aren't, maybe there's someone better. I don't know how it goes, but I support them all. And um, I can imagine because I don't have my shoes and my feet in their shoes. Exactly. And you know, it's funny when you started to talk about Simone, you said, can you imagine being, and I'm like, no, I can't imagine any of that. I can't imagine doing (laughs) those things on the vault. I can't imagine doing those things with my body. I can't imagine like flying in the air like that. And so all of that. And then if you're not feeling good, uh, you have to take care of that. Do you think that we as a culture put too much pressure on young athletes? Are we making it too hard for them? Are we raising the stakes too much? Um, I think in general, I think it also starts with parents, <laughs> to be honest. They're recruiting kids so early now. Kids don't even get to have fun doing it, especially with gymnastics. I mean, the stuff that they have to go through at an early age, that's why they're so mentally tough. Yeah, there's a conversation that needs to be had about the pressures that are put on there. And then also maybe it's just the mindfulness that needs to be happening at an earlier age to help them as, as you're growing up through the system, like all the stressors that we've had to have, like I've, of course we've all been stressed during the Olympics or just growing up from high school. But the mindfulness conversation when I was younger wasn't really that big of a conversation. I'm not talking about when I was in USA, I'm just talking about just growing up through high school and middle school. So maybe we start earlier with the mindfulness and working towards that. There's a lot of pressures all the time. And I think also some of these parents really, I see it in the volleyball world a lot. I see a lot of like ugliness from parents. I talk about this a lot, you know, so much pressure for their kids because they want it for them and you can't want it more than your kids do. And I believe also in like letting your kids kind of have some fun. There's fun in sports too, you know? And so when when you start getting to college, it becomes business. So let them have fun up and then let them explore and play different sports. That's what I think about it. <laughs> How did you get started? So what was your path to eventually becoming an Olympian? I was a basketball player in high school uh, and middle school. And I also was a cheerleader. You know, it's not really normal for like a basketball player to cheerlead. And it was like ninth grade. One of my teammates, love her, Katie Rank. She said, hey, Kim, you should play volleyball. And I was like, I know it sounds really dumb, but I literally was like, that's a picnic sport. Like no one plays volleyball. I was never exposed to like volleyball before. Swear. So I'm like, people play the outside of picnics. You know what I mean? That sounds crazy. Right. Cause I was one of those kids. I didn't really watch a lot. Like I was outside playing. So, you know, but, um, I tried out and I was just like atrocious. I was really, really bad. It was ninth grade. And all of a sudden, like, they told me that I made it. But then also, it just made the cheerleading squad. So I was like, hmm, I'm going to probably go with the volleyball. Because, first of all, I like to do everything. I don't like being limited. I'm like, I'm six foot two and a half. I don't like your boxes. Don't put me in one. And, you know, in cheerleading, like, right? <laughs> I'm like, too big for your box, okay? So, but like, um, but in cheerleading, I was always going to be the base. I was never going to fly. They let me fly one time. So then I was like, you know what? I chose uh, volleyball. And I just kind of took off from there. I had a really great high school coach, Al Crawford. I've just been blessed with really good coaches as well. And I think that really makes a difference. You know, I know football players who 
were super talented that didn't make it because some of their coaches, they had like these little, they were, they didn't care enough, you know, and they had these connections to colleges and stuff. So I'm fortunate to have great coach that was like, Hey, you should go play in this club. And then the club coaches that were there and they were like, Hey, you should go try out for USA high performance. I'm like, Oh, what the, and I, and I did that. And I went and tried out for uh, USA high performance. No idea what the heck I was doing. Then all of a sudden I get, I make that small team and we are just training in Colorado Springs. And I'm like, what's going on? And I, it was just, it was super crazy. And then I was there and I wasn't as good as everybody else. I just started. Those girls have been playing for a long time. And then um, they asked me to stay to train with the youth national team for like two weeks after I ended up staying and just kind of just kept going up the every, every year, no high school trips with my friends or things like that. Just practicing all year long, basketball, volleyball, then finally no more basketball and just all volleyball all the time and just learning, trying to be an open book. There's a lesson in what you just said, um, and I think it's for all of us, especially for younger people, but you just told a story about starting out not being as good as everybody else, but you stuck with it. You didn't quit it. You didn't say, I'm tired of these other girls showing me up. I'm done. I'm going to go back and be an anchor in the cheerleading squad. You uh, stuck with it. Why did you keep up with it? Did you love it? Do you, are you just that competitive? What was the thing? And what would you tell people um, in terms of finding the thing that helps them stick with something when it's just tough? It's just tough. So when I got chosen to stay with the youth national team from high performance camp, like 15, a couple of the girls were talking about me. And I found out from one of my other girls that were there, right? I'll never forget this. And then, you know, there's a couple of mean girls there. I guess, cause I always looked like I was going to be like, you know, athletic and awesome. And I was like, crummy. And so I called my mom and I'm like, Hey mom, they want me to stay and train with the youth national team. And my mom's like, that's great, Kimmer. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I think I want to come home. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know? And she goes, what's wrong? And I was like, well, like all the girls are like talking about me. And she goes, well, what are they saying? And I said that I suck and they don't know why I'm getting chosen. And she was like, well, why would they say that? And I was like, cause mom, I suck. And she said, my mom said to me, well, maybe the coaches see something in you that you don't see in yourself. And I was like, yeah. And she goes, Kim, you know how to work hard. You know how to give it everything you've got. You know how to listen, go out there and just play and learn. So that's the one thing that I did. I, yeah, I wasn't better than them, but I kept seeing my progress. I love to compete. And this was something new for me to learn. And that's why it was kind of like piqued my interest to even play volleyball after she exposed me to it, my friend, is because I like to compete. I like trying different things and something new. And so like to have the high aptitude for it, you can't just be athletic. And a lot of times people always want to put me in this category of being like just athletic and raw talent. But honestly, I was trying to understand the game more all the time. And so I also, to tell other people this, look at the people who are doing better than you. Those girls that were playing, I see what the coaches complimented them on, what they were better at than me, which is most time like everything. But I chose certain people and I copied them. I literally did. I was like, all right, this is how she does this. Oh, I see Logan Tom do this. My coaches made me watch her and she was badass. And I would just try to do that shot down the line all the time. Didn't know how I was going to do it. You know, but I did it. I just kept practicing, staying the open book, knowing that you're a blank slate. You never know enough, you know, and just and trying to be coachable. Sometimes you just have that grit too. 
So I'm sure people are wondering, Tanya, how did you meet this incredible Olympian who was <laughs> dispensing all of her Olympic judgment magic? <laughs> I don't even know if that makes any sense. That's not quite what I meant yes. to say. Yeah, I know. But you're with me there. Like, where did you find Olympian Kim Glass? Well, here's what I, I, I kind of bury the lead because what you guys don't know is that Kim was at my house just a few hours ago kicking my butt, which is what she does a few times a week. Kimberly Glass is my trainer. Yeah. And, you know, I love her. She's so fun. But when she's here, I really want her to leave. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's normal. It's like That's a love relationship. Truth. Yes. That's just but, the you know, truth. Jeanette introduced us because Jeanette another was Another super for a trainer, long time. another super trainer. Uh, Jeanette Jenkins introduced me to Kimberly Glass. Um, I call her like in my phone, you know, my contacts, your trainer, Kim the Olympian. Yes. Um, yes. But uh, I, I will say this. Sometimes I just don't want to work out. I think a lot of people feel that. Um, I'm also aware of the fact that if I don't, there are consequences. There are, <laughs> there, yeah, are there are, there are body, not clothes, not fit in the same way consequences. There are, um, but on a serious note, you know, we've been talking about mental health. And one of the things that I think that people are talking more and more about um, in terms and not just in terms of mindfulness, uh, which is important, but exercise yeah. is really a good way to make yourself feel a little better sometimes. Right. I mean, don't you think, isn't that your advice to people that it's not, you know, yes, it's about like our waistlines and this and that, and we want to be physically healthy, but there's a real mental health component to staying active, isn't there? There is. And it, you know, exercising, you know, it's a mood booster, releases a lot of endorphins. And by the way, exercise doesn't look one way. One of my clients says, hey, Kim, can we go and can you just teach me volleyball today? And we go in the sand and I'll do that. So sometimes it's finding the things that you like. I always tell people too, like, try to do, I have hula hoops in here. Some days I just come in my house, I'll just be hula hooping the music. I don't even care. You know what I mean? Jump roping, getting back to things that like, remember that were fun for us before. Hopscotch. Yeah, hopscotch, whatever it is that you want to do, hop in the pool. You know, even if you do a walk up the hill, run, walk, talk to your friends as you do it, you know, something's better than nothing. And I think that that's really important. And maybe if you take those steps to it, then you'll see how good it feels. And then you'll want to start getting into, you know, a little bit more strength training, which is really important, especially for women, as we lose bone density, starting at 30, and then we keep losing more and more each year. And that's so important for us, you know? And so um, I don't always want to train. You seem like it. You always come over and you're like, hey, let's go. Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh. yeah, no, well, yeah, that's my natural energy in general. But, you know, I try to ground myself before I go to each one of my clients and show up for, for you guys because I'm a better team player. I, I'm good when I have to show up for someone else, which leads me to also find someone that you can work out with or do something active with, because sometimes that's a motivation as well when you're doing it. But but also like. Don't beat yourself up 24 seven. If you miss a day or you miss two days, just get back on it. The fitness journey sometimes is really full of starts and stops. And if you stop, the important part is just to keep starting again. It's like life. It's about resiliency. And so I think that's really important to, to think about. It makes you feel good, to look good in your body, but also 
inside. We need it for our cardiovascular health. You have children. You want to stay alive for them. You have a boyfriend. You want to stay alive for him. You want to be at your best self. You want to treat everyone at work better than you normally do. You can use exercise to boost that mood to kind of make you feel better and you feel more accomplished, right? Don't you like, I woke up, I chose myself today. That's the first thing you did. You chose yourself. You got to schedule it in like your life depends on it because your life kind of sometimes really does depend on you being active, right? Especially nowadays when we're sitting at home. One thing about the pandemic is I, I started seeing more people out walking and doing things they never did before. And so I hope that they continued it afterward. We really uh, sometimes, I think, take for granted how sedentary our lives are these days. I mean, sitting behind a computer, um, I read somewhere, I mean, I it wasn't just me. I think this is floating around there, but I think they're saying that like sitting is the new smoking. You know, we need to be, we need to be out there. So before we go, Kimberly Glass, um, other than getting me into the best shape of my life, what's next for you? What are your plans, sis? I'm hoping to create some programs online, fitness-wise, so that Yay! it can be more than, not everybody can have me come to their house and train them. So I want to be able to be like a little broader with that. Maybe start a couple of uh, traveling group fitness. I think um, camps, I think that would be great. What? Uh, Where are we going to go? Where can we go? I don't even, yet. I don't even you know what? I want to I go everywhere. I want to go everywhere. I might start in a couple cities. I don't know yet. And then try to get people together and just like, just kind of broaden my reach, right? But on top of it, I really want to work with young, tall girls on their self-esteem. And I really want to develop a self-esteem camp for young, tall girls. Um, obviously, it would start first here in California, keeping it local. Hopefully, it'll branch into something bigger than, than I can imagine. And I think it's really important. Um, it's something that I identify with. I think that movie on Netflix really kind of showcase like the lack of empathy that people have for young tall girls because when you get older you realize dang people really want to be tall but when you're younger people are walking around hunched over set like ashamed of who they are of something that they can't change you know it's funny the grass is always greener yeah, right yeah, like exactly. so those girls are feeling you know the girls your size and by the way she's six two she's a gorgeous fun, like you're just stunning and your energy is so wonderful. You're six two. And so, uh, you know, maybe when you're younger, it doesn't feel that, you know, you feel like you've got to make yourself shorter. Yeah. You know you're what? making so, yourself smaller. Everybody, by the way. So when Kim and I are working out, she calls me bite size. Um, <laughs> I am not six two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, like uh, you're the, bite the grass size always. I'm the family size. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like the, the grass always seems greener, but that's wonderful that you want to do that for a community of young women who are impacted by self-esteem issues in a way that you can really relate to. So kudos to you, sis, for doing that. Thanks for paying it forward. Thank you for being here. I hope you'll come. I know you're coming back to my house because I'm going to yes. see you in a couple days. I'm see you on Friday. Yeah, I'm going to see you on Friday where you like hurt me and beat me up again. But um, please come back to the show. I think it's just been wonderful having you here. Uh, one cheer for Team USA. Go USA. USA. All right, go Olympics. Thanks, Kim. Love you. Talk to you. Thanks. Love you too. The Tanya Acker Show is written and executive produced by me. Sam Fergoso is my producer. Andre Lynn is my editor. 
Cole Mitchell is my composer. Sydney Freeman is my production assistant. And my show dog is Maximus Justice, also known as Max. If you like us, please go on to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Maybe I'll even have the chance to read it on the air. I will give you my hugest and most profuse thanks if you do. Thanks for listening, everybody. 